we, if you if you're new to this or visiting this church, we uh, we've been we're in the going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, and we're up to chapter six. Um, the the book of Ephesians is kind of divided into two bits. There's um, the first three chapters are this great overview and uh, sweeping statements of Paul's about the, the wonders of Christ and, and God's salvation for us. And then the, the, the second half of the book is really putting that into practice. How, how do we, given that that is true, how then do we live? So this morning... Uh, one of the songs we sung, the, the creed, we, uh, we sung about how Jesus Christ is our Lord. And that should be the aim of, of us all, is to submit our entire lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A question for you. What, what percentage of your life do you think is currently under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Now, I warn you, there's only one good answer here. <laughs> But I'm not sure that um, any of us could truthfully claim that 100% of our life is under Jesus' Lordship. I mean, certainly that's mostly our intention. But I remember reading a book by Jeff Bingham years ago and he said that actually, in his experience, Christians as a group, or churchgoers anyway, were, were no happier than the rest of the community. In fact, sometimes he thought that they were less happy and he thought that the reason for this is because we don't have 100% allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a kind of half-hearted allegiance where we, we have parts of our life that we submit to his lordship and other parts where, well, no, I think I'll, I would actually rather keep control of that bit myself. You know, in that way, sometimes... Uh, it shouldn't surprise us if we're, when we meet people who aren't Christians and they're quite happy, uh, they're, they're quite content with their lot because if you only have to please yourself, well, that's pretty easy to do. Uh, and people who belong to other religions, um, that, that can be a, a way to, to a fair bit of happiness too because other religions, the, the sort of non-Christian religions uh, tend to be very ritualistic. You know, you say this prayer this many times a day, and you're right. The rest of the, the, rest of the time, uh, you can do what you want, basically. And so that relieves a lot of um, tension from a person's life. And so they, at times, they can appear very happy also. But surely for us, if, if Jesus, if he died in our place, if he died for our sins, then he would expect nothing less than total commitment from us and 100% of our lives turned over to his lordship. He, he definitely does not want a casual relationship with us. You know, last week we, we had how Christ's relationship with his church is compared to a marriage. And, and uh, the whole idea of, a, of an open marriage, so-called, has been in the news a bit lately where, you know, it's where a husband and wife sort of say, oh, well, you know, we can have other partners as well. I don't believe that it ever works. I, can't, I cannot believe that that would ever work. And certainly that's not, not the sort of marriage that the Lord Jesus wants with his church. He wants, 
total commitment because he is totally committed to us. Jesus wants to be Lord of every part of our life and so actually then we would, shouldn't be too surprised if sometimes we aren't completely happy if we have parts of our life that we are not submitting to him because that will be the way that God uses to change us, to, to, to submit more of our lives to him. So that's really why we've been going through this, this bit of Ephesians. It, 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 it bits on, on life and marriage and kids and work. In all these things, Jesus wants to be 100% Lord of our lives. Uh, probably the, the relevant verse for today was in chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, Paul says that, that we should submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. I mean, this whole thing of submission, as John was saying last week, is just a, an anathema to our current day world. But, but it's actually submission is is very common, even in our in our uh, in our secular world. When we drive down the road, we are submitting to the laws of this state. Well, I hope you are. Anyway, I don't <laughs> want to be on the same road with you if you're not. Um, we we uh, we submit to all the laws of our country all the time, pretty much. Most of us are pretty law-abiding lot. Uh, we don't seem to worry about that sort of sub submission. And uh, even even now, you are you here are, are submitting to me. You're sitting there quietly and, and listening. I mean, you could be trying to disrupt me, and you're not. Well, I no, thank you for that. Uh, wake up, Morris. Uh, and. <laughs> But, yeah, said with love, yeah. Um, and then, then in, uh, so, so we submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And then in verse 22, wives are to submit to, to their husbands. Why? Well, as to the Lord. Wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. You see, Christ is exalted in our submission. And then verse 25. Um, husbands, loved your, love your wives because we're all such good stout fellows. Uh, no, that's not what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And once again, Christ is exalted in our marriage when we do it right. Your marriage should display Christ's love uh, for his bride. I, I mean, we have to say that that, that is an ideal because I, I don't really know any marriages that live up to that standard. Um, no, no marriages are perfect, no, no earthly marriages. Uh, I mean, some, some husbands are, are easier to submit to than others and, and some wives are easier to love than others. But those of you who are, who are married um, should bear this, this image of Christ and his church all the time in our mind. Uh, he, that, that is, you know, that's what we're supposed to be modelling to the world in our marriages. And then uh, last week we got on to the children, obey your parents. Why? Obey your parents in the Lord. Once again, Christ is exalted in a godly family. And in verse 4, the parents are to bring up their children in, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see the pattern here. Everything is, is for Christ. In everything, he is he is exalted, and today we we um, we become to slaves and masters. Slaves obey your masters, 
as you would Christ. Um, this is probably the this is probably the, the, the difficult one to to well no actually it's probably very similar to the to the wives submitting to their husband in today's society. This is not a, a subject that people uh, want to hear really. Um, slavery. You know, it's the the type. The, there's there's basically two types of slavery, isn't there? That there's the type that was in the in the Old Testament, where uh, very often it was a. a you, well, you remember when when Israel came into the Promised Land, every family was allotted a parcel of land, unless they were the Levites. Um, they all had a parcel of land, and so they were all farmers. And, and like the, the nature of farming is that some people do better at it than others, uh, you know, whether through good luck or good management, uh, some people get in trouble and get into debt. And so the, the system in old Israel was that when you got in debt, you, you became a slave of one of your relatives. He would take over your land and you would work for him for nothing. But in return, he would then uh, offer his protection and food and a house and all those things. And, and Israel had this wonderful system of the Jubilee year where every 50 years all debts were erased. That was it. So if you'd been working as a slave for your, for your brother or something, suddenly at the end of 50 years, back to, back to scratch, you get your land back, your farm. Because debt's a funny thing, isn't it? Some of the book I was reading a while ago pointed out that debt is the only eternal thing in this world. Unless you pay it off, it lasts forever. It goes on and on and on forever. But, but Israel had this system where that wasn't so. It's, I mean, it is hard to see how that would work in a modern economy, but, but nonetheless, um, for them, it did away with the whole problem of debt. So that was the sort of slavery that was in the, uh, in the Old Testament. The other sort is the sort that was done by people who weren't, uh, didn't belong to Yahweh, the God of the Bible. The, the, we read a lot about the Roman Empire, how great it was, and, we, and you can still see the amazing things that were built in the time of the Romans, the, the, the great work, public works they did. It was all done with slavery. Um, that, that was how the Roman Empire worked, and, and, and pretty much every other empire uh, apart from the Jews. Slaves were a fact of life. Uh, a country would be invaded, Slaves, people would be rounded up and taken as prisoners and they would become slaves and, and work for nothing more than, a, than, than their keep, basically. Um, and, that, and that's kind of like the, the modern slavery of the last 500 years where, where, where slaves were, were taken from Africa to the Americas uh, purely on the basis of race, where, where some people decided, well, these people are inferior to us Let's take, round them up and take them and we'll have a free workforce. But that sort of slavery has nothing to do with the, the, the slaves of the, the, that were in the Bible. But anyway, that, 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 that's probably beside the point because Paul is writing, here is writing to a society where slavery was, was just another form of employment. That, that's what people did. Um, he, he, doesn't, um, he doesn't condemn it uh, directly. Uh, but nor does he recommend it. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, he advises slaves to gain their freedom if possible. Uh, in fact, he reminds them that, that actually they belong to Christ and so they shouldn't be slaves to anybody else. 
probably we get the best idea of what of what God thinks about slavery when we uh, we see what Paul wrote about slave traders in 1 Timothy, uh, where he lumps them in with murderers, adulterers, perverts, and liars. So that that's what God thinks of slavery as as a as a business. But Paul here is is writing to people for whom slavery was just a fact of life. It was everywhere, like wives and children, and uh, in the in the previous verses. Um, Paul's thinking was was well look we I know there are slaves in our churches we've got lots of slaves in our churches and we have lots of masters as well people who own slaves so I'd better instruct them on, on how to live in the Lord and actually it turns out that the stuff he tells them can easily be applied to other relationships particularly ones between a master uh, uh, an employer and an employee so. He starts off, slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. It probably comes as something of a shock to us that, uh, to, to, well, to a modern employee that we are to work for our bosses uh, with fear and trembling um, and with a sincere heart. I mean, these are expressions that are usually applied to our relationship with God. How can this be? Is Paul really saying that, that slaves who receive no reward at all for their work, apart from their keep, is he really saying that they must serve them, uh, their master, who, who may not even be a Christian, uh, the same way that they serve Christ. Well, yes, that is actually what he's saying. Although, although our service to Christ, of course, must always come first. But Paul says that slaves must serve their masters as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. There's that... that uh, expression again, as to the Lord and not to man. Look, we can always think of reasons why why we shouldn't do this, especially if you've got a, a bad employer. Um, but, the, but the vast majority of people who actually work for employers, like in modern day, work for employers who are neither good nor bad. They just give you a job and pay their wages. Um, and but But God expects us those of us who are employed, to work for our employers with a good will, doing the best we can. And now that can be very hard for someone with a difficult boss. And Paul doesn't make any exceptions here. Uh, you, you might work diligently for your employer for 20 years and never receive any praise at all. But as Christians, we are not to expect our rewards in this life. It's not even that by being a, a good worker, your boss might take note and, and then, then you know, you, he might decide, well, why is he so good? I, maybe I'd better become a Christian too. He doesn't say that here, although he, he does imply that in, in, in the first letter of Timothy. No, the reward for good service to your master may not ever be in this life. There may be no benefit at all, but God himself will repay you.
God himself will repay you. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? You know, we, we're, uh, most employers now are in compulsory superannuation schemes where when they retire they get a, a nice handy payout. But it's an interesting thought that if, you, uh, if your employer, do, employer doesn't reward you, that God will in the, in the life to come. That, that, that's a superannuation scheme that's really worth having. Verse 8 says, Whatever any good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Now that, that may be by God arranging for a slave, for arranging for his freedom. Um, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul advises slaves to gain their freedom if they can. And so it is okay to leave a bad employer for a better one. But don't seek your happiness in this life. Don't seek your happiness in your job, your fulfilment. Those of us who've been doing the, um, the Christianity Explored thing at home group, I don't know if you noticed that lovely quote from, from C.S. Lewis, where he said, be sure that the thing that brings you most joy is not something that you can lose. I mean, some, some people have amazing jobs. You know, people who deliver yachts around the world. There's all, there's all these people who are not in our class who sail their yacht from, I don't know, from England to Australia, and then they fly back, so they want someone to sail it back for them, and people actually get paid to do that. Can you believe it? You know, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good job. Um, but those, those sort of jobs, or, or being a... I'd, lo I'd love to be someone who tests cars for a magazine, you know, I mean, and get paid to do it. There are some, there are some amazing jobs, but, but no matter how good your job is, or how bad, it's going to end very shortly very shortly. This life will end. And whether you had a dream job playing, paying a couple of hundred thousand a year or you eked out a living going through the garbage on a, on a rubbish dump in the Philippines, as some people do, uh, it will make no difference in eternity. Both of those jobs will seem like, like rubbish. And masters of slaves, Paul addresses them too, or, or bosses. What about them? Well, they're no different to how slaves should treat their masters. Do your best for them. Why? Because ultimately all bosses and all masters are, are, are like slaves themselves. They will have to give an account to their master in heaven for how they treated their employees or their slaves. There's a, a few good examples of people in slavery of course, in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, we have the letter to Philemon is about a the relationship between a master and his slave. Uh, his slave Onesimus has run away and uh, and gone to be with Paul, and and both Philemon and Onesimus are Christians, and so Paul is writing to Philemon, the master, and pleading with him for Onesimus, the slave, and Paul. Uh, pulls no punches in reminding Philemon that Philemon owes his very existence, his life, his eternal life to Paul's ministry and so he should look on his slave in the same way and really that should have, should have applied, well it should apply to any relationship between a, an employer and an employee. In the Old Testament we have you know, Joseph when he was in Egypt, uh, he was a slave uh, but he worked, he worked with a good heart um, as to the Lord, 
and eventually his boss rewarded him, although it did go badly wrong later on. But um, And then Daniel, who found himself in Babylon as part of the exiles and uh, virtually a slave, but once again, with a good will, did the best for his master, even though his master wasn't a Jew. Uh, and his master appreciated and promoted him and uh, as, he, as he did with Mordecai. They're, they're, they're great stories to read about them. Um, look, so in summary, if you're employed, work with a good will as to the Lord. If you're an employer, treat your em employees as best as you can because you will have to give an account one day for how you do it. And if, you're in a, if we're in a job that we don't like and we can't wait to get home at night, well, uh, don't lose heart. Because outwardly, although we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And fix your eyes on what you can't see, the things that are eternal, and not on the things that we can see, which will pass away. Amen.